0: Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. This week, we have Reginald Ross on the show president-elect of SNA from North Carolina's Department of Public Instruction. This episode is full of career advice. I consider us really fortunate to have a chance to have this conversation with Reggie, to hear about all of the growth he's experienced in school nutrition and what his pointers are for others who would like to do the same. Let's jump right in. School nutrition, dietitian, here on a mission. To show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus, time to handle business. Breakfast, you don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food, clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the School Nutrition Dietitian. Hi, Reggie. Thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Well, I am thrilled to be on the podcast and thrilled to be talking with you.
0: I'm really excited to get a little bit of a look into your pathway into school nutrition. Trying to research you online, I see you've already done a lot of work in leadership. So I'm sure you've been in school nutrition for quite some time. How many years have you put in so far?
1: Right now it's right at 13 and a half years. I spent about 23 years prior to that in uh food service. I had my own restaurant and then I worked for a fast food restaurant chain.
0: Did you know you were interested in working with food when you were growing up? No, <laughs> in fact, I was a journalism
1: major in college, wanted to be a writer. And when I first came out of school, It was very difficult to find positions in writing and actually started off in retail and moved from retail into food.
0: Oh, okay. So from there, did you just fall in love with it and decide you wanted your own restaurant?
1: Well, I fell in love with it. I worked for, it was AFC Enterprises, which was a combination of Church's Chicken and Popeyes for 23 years and did a host of different things. And it was really an exciting time for me. My first couple of years, I was a restaurant manager. Then I became an area supervisor, but then I got promoted to the corporate level. And I was a franchise consultant, a corporate inspector, and then I worked IT for five years. So it was an extremely exciting career, loved food. And then I became a franchise consultant, actually, for Hank Aaron, the baseball player. Oh. I was his VP of operations. For about three years, and so had great great experiences on that side. And then I had my own restaurant for three years before moving into school nutrition.
0: Did you do a lot of hands-on cooking when you were working in your own establishment?
1: I did hands-on throughout my most of my career. When I first started in the fast food industry, I did hands-on, and at various levels, I did hands-on because you had to know the products to go out to your franchisees. So I definitely did hands-on. During that period, and then when I had my own restaurant, I did hands on and did catering to go along with that. So, definitely did a lot of cooking with it. And love food, love cooking, love feeding kids.
0: Did you cook before you started working in food service?
1: Just some um, for, you know, friends and family, but nothing big. Um, it was only after I got into the profession that I really started to cook a lot.
0: So, you really built those skills on the job? Yes, definitely on the job skills. Well, that's great. That gives me hope for, every, there are just so many people who are new in the field. It's always good to hear that not everybody was cooking since, you know, they were knee-high to a June bug. Some people started really focusing on this skill as an adult, so that's good. Oh, advice. yeah, I
1: definitely did that, because growing up, uh, I was not allowed in the kitchen. My mother was a great cook, and my brothers and sisters would laugh, everybody out of the kitchen, so... Oh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that I think that has happened to a lot of people. So at least you knew enough to not be completely lost. Some of our kids, unfortunately, I, I worry. I don't know what they're going to eat when they go to college. So uh, we do what we can, though, with the nutrition ed. So how did you end up in school nutrition, though? How did you make that transition?
1: Okay, I made the transition from having my own restaurant, which I had for about three years. And even though I had a lot of cash flow, it was not very profitable and basically one day my wife said you need to get a job and so I looked and searched locally what was available that was a position open in school nutrition It was a cafeteria manager it wasn't even a supervisor even though I had a lot of experience and uh, you know I interviewed and I got the job even though even some of the people that interviewed me said I would only be there a few months and I wouldn't last
0: they thought it would be too intense or too different from no
1: what they you they see? just thought that that i would probably work it until i could find something better
0: uh, and move on okay well at least they gave you a chance cuz that's a big problem when but, you're yeah. overqualified sometimes you can't find anything
1: you're exactly right and the thing that happened with me is i absolutely fell in love with it from day one
0: what was it about it that was different from it, where
1: you've been before? It was that I realized that I was feeding children who otherwise would not be getting a nutritious meal. And I had so many kids that would come in to me and and say they were grateful and thankful. My first school was in a very urban area and the kids would come in after the weekend and say they were grateful because they hadn't had anything worthwhile to eat over the weekend. So I knew that what I was doing was beneficial for children.
0: That must have been elementary
1: school. Was that elementary or? No, it was actually a middle school, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> and <I was>. <laughs> <laughs> I and what happened judge. though was, you know, middle school kids, you know, sort of standoffish and, you know, as they would come through the line, I would call them by their name and they First thing they say, well, how do you know my name? I said, well, I know your name because it's coming up on the computer. And after a while, you break through, and they really would start talking to you. And we built relationships as a result of that. And they enjoyed the food. I had a great staff, and um, they prepared great food, and the students really enjoyed enjoyed eating in the cafeteria.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! What a great introduction to school nutrition.
1: Oh, it was. It, it just really motivated me to, to want to do a lot in in this profession.
0: Right. So I guess when you work in other areas of food service, it's not normal to see your customers every single day. So you can't get as close to them as you can here. So I hadn't thought about that. Exa-
1: yeah, that's exactly right. And even with the staff, they just became absolutely wonderful. You got to Talk with them every day, enjoy their highs and lows and working, uh, the challenges that we faced every day, whether somebody didn't show up and how we want to get through. And I had a great administrator, a great principal and great staff there. And everyone made it a, a worthwhile experience
0: working there. Well, you say even enjoying their lows, how do you do that? And did you bring these leadership skills maybe in with you or... I don't know, cafeteria management seems so challenging to me, so I wonder how people
1: navigate that. It is is so challenging, but it is also about people, and it's about uh, respecting people for the gifts that they bring and the talents that they bring, and no matter what the position people worked in, you could see the skills that they had and the pride that they took in it, and so as a result of that, you know, I would always compliment them on the good things. if there were uh, reasons to talk to them about things they needed to correct, I would tell them those things as well. But, you know, we developed a very, very strong relationship because we were all in it for the same reason. And I would say, and at that time I had mostly ladies I had a couple of guys, but, you know, the ladies were, are so compassionate with the students who came through the line. And, you know, there were times that the students may not, their parents may not have been very good and they would pull them aside and They make sure that they go up back in the back and comb their hair. Or we had a couple of students who were diabetic and they make sure they have the juices and whatever is necessary ready for them. So you saw the passion that they had for what they were doing and the love that they shared with their students.
0: That definitely makes a difference. So you mentioned that it was majority women and overall it seems like the field is majority female. Was that in any way a challenge or did you find that being a minority gender wise was kind of a non-issue?
1: Oh, it was a non-issue for me. Okay. I, had, I had dealt with it at, at various points still in the restaurant industry. You go into restaurants and the staff could be all women or 80% women, the managers are one. So that was definitely not an issue. And, you know, I've, I've dealt with challenges no matter what they are throughout my life. So, you know, those kind of things I don't even deal with at all. You know, I just deal with the people I have to work with and get excited about working with them and moving forward.
0: Well, that's good to know that it's a non-issue. Uh, do you think that other people are aware that this is a job option more so than they were in the past? Because as a journalism major, I'm sure this wasn't on your radar at all. What do you think right. Yeah. awareness level is like these days?
1: Yeah, as a journalism major, it wasn't, I guess, a profession that would stick out for a journalist,
0: right. but because
1: uh, I had worked in the profession, I had gained so much knowledge about about food service, and one of the things that I did when I worked um, in the private sector and then working in, in school nutrition is that I made sure that I educated myself with all the tools that were necessary and that were out there so that I could be proficient in knowing what I was talking about. So, you know, I got all the levels of certification through SNA, the SNS credentialing. So I always made sure I read and, and uh, was certified in all of the areas to make me proficient uh, in this field because I didn't have a degree in, in nutrition. And I think that sometimes uh, a lot of young people coming out don't see skill nutrition as a profession because they look at the professions where they think they can make a lot of money And don't understand and realize that it's great money to be made in this profession. But sometimes you have to work through it to get to that particular point.
0: That's a really good point, too, because I had no idea that you started as a cafeteria manager. So it's really exciting to see how far you have moved from that initial position. Would you say that the lessons or the information you learned on the front line has been a vital part of making you well-rounded, or can people probably grow entering at any point?
1: Well, people can grow at any point, but having the knowledge of having worked at the level of the cafeteria manager allows me to go, and even now as a consultant in my position with the state agency, I go in with the eyes of understanding and seeing but their manager is looking at. And then sometimes I see things that they don't see because I have worked there and I've had that experience. And I understand their frustrations too that they go through. When you go to their school and you're scheduled to go there, and then two people don't show up, but they know they still have to get the product out to the students. So I can empathize and understand all aspects of it and have a good, I guess, a a good vision of what they're going through because I did experience it as a cafeteria manager.
0: Right. And I would think it's really helpful for them to see someone who they understand actually has done what they're doing, because that is something I hear a lot from not always the managers. Sometimes it's more the nutrition assistants and other people who work with the managers. They feel like mm-hmm. people in administration don't know what it's really like to be in their shoes. So I wish that more people would understand it is a career and stay with us long enough to be in a position where they could say, hey, I've actually done what you've done and I have a really well-rounded understanding of what we have to do according to the regs and what challenges you're facing in this position.
1: Well, you know, when I when I came in to School Nutrition, The only thing that I knew, I needed a job, and then I grew to love the profession, but I didn't even know what possibilities were even out there for me. And then opportunity after opportunity kept opening up for me because I worked hard, I got involved, I got involved with the association, I was given special – because after my very first year as a cafeteria manager, I was promoted to area supervisor. And my director uh, really gave me a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things outside of my normal work. So, again, it was just uh, growth. I was taking in everything that was thrown at me. And, you know, that's what I tell anyone. If you come into the profession, just open yourself up to learn all you can learn. Because once you have that knowledge, it's just going to be there for you to continue to grow in the profession.
0: So just one year as a cafeteria manager, you said you also pursued the certifications that you could, that S&S credential. Did you already have that SNS credential when you started working as an area supervisor?
1: No, I did not. Okay. No, so I did not. In fact, on. yeah. What I was going to say is that it was working in, uh, and I worked for a large school district here in Charlotte. And so we were very, I guess, compartmentalized that you didn't see a lot of the aspects like free and reduced applications. The only thing I ever did with them was pick them up. So that was a great learning curve in terms of preparing for the SNS credentialing because a lot of things I never did before. I just supervised cafeterias, even though I had as many as 30. It was strictly from the operations uh, standpoint and not other aspects. Mm. So in a smaller district, somebody may have had more experience and more knowledge because they got to process applications and do verification and all those kinds of things and procurement that I never saw in working uh, in the district that I was working in. But I had to learn all of those things.
0: So when you studied for the test, some of the information was new?
1: Oh, a lot of it was new. A lot of it was new. And then I had to go back and uh, read additional books in order to get myself prepared.
0: I thought it was extremely helpful. I just wish I would have read it in the early months of me starting my position because there was just so much covered. And like you said, there's additional study suggestions. So that's a great recommendation. Jump all in with SNA, get all the certifications you can, go ahead and start studying, really rounding yourself out and be open to any opportunity that comes your way. Yes.
1: And and even with joining SNA, I joined my very first year. I started, I think, like in February, and I joined like in March or April of that same year. And that was just based off my belief from my previous jobs that if there is a professional association, I needed to be a member of that association because there's so much to gain by being a member of the association. The knowledge that you get, the skills you get, all the trainings that are available— Those are the kinds of things in the networking that you have. Those things help you in your profession to grow. Hmm. And so that
0: carried
1: over. Yes, that carried over from my previous work life into this profession. You know, once I found out about, because I didn't know anything about the association when I started working, but once I found out about it, you know, they had local meetings. And part of the thing that my director did was that if you were a manager trainee, which I was, she purchased your uh, membership for the first year and you got to go to the meetings Hmm. because she wanted you to get excited about the association. That's where I learned about it. And then after that, I was on my own, but, you know, it was just great learning about the association and the wonderful opportunities that were out there.
0: Yeah. So who introduced it to you then? It was basically because she was paying for it. That was your introduction to the professional association. Yeah, and
1: the local chapter meeting. And the local chapter. Uh, we would go, to, yeah, yeah. all of the trainees at that time, we would go to the local meeting, uh that we had. And that's how we all got introduced to it.
0: Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we're trying to make sure that all the new employees are aware of what a resource it is. So you mentioned right. you also were given special projects that helped you grow. What types of special projects were you assigned when you were a supervisor?
1: Okay, my very first project, I was responsible for transitioning from every school, and it's 170 schools in the district at that time, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg, transitioning from each school having their own identity as far as uniforms to a central uniform for the entire district. Oh. And that was quite a challenge. Because everyone identified by their own uniform, their own uh, schools, the colors, the whole work. And here I was responsible for making that transition, ordering the uniforms, working with all the managers, some of whom who didn't want to change. And But I think my director knew that it was something that I could handle. And I worked along with another supervisor and we made it happen.
0: What was the motivating force behind that? Was it just it was going to be more cost effective? to just have one design and make larger purchases
1: uh it was for a more professional look because you had from scrubs to all kind of different things out there as you went from school to school and the director wanted it to be representative of professionals Mm. uh, in the uniforms that we were wearing so we came up with the uniform and we informed everyone of the uniform. And initially she was going to buy parts of the uniform and she did buy parts of the uniform for everyone. And then we got everybody in the uniform. So it was just to in, in improve the look in the profession in the schools.
0: Okay. That makes sense. So with 170 schools, did you get a sampling of managers that were able to be on the committee? How did you collect the information you needed to make a decision?
1: Actually, we did have some representative managers along with some supervisors and the director, and uh, we had actually different companies who presented proposals to us with various uniforms, and based off of the price and everything, we selected the company and the uniform and the color. All of that was selected by this team that was put together.
0: Gotcha. That does sound like a major undertaking. So 170 schools, how many employees was that? About 1,400.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it was. But that was not my only uh, challenging project. That was just the first that I was given. Um, I guess the second one uh, was starting a food show for uh, middle and high school student representatives that were going to high schools for approximately 17 high schools in the district, and it was five students per school. And uh, the very first year, we had our uh, food show at a middle school. And then the next year, we were able to talk with Bank of America Stadium, where the Carolina Panthers play. And so for the next two years, next three years, we had it there at Bank of America Stadium, which was a tremendous experience for everyone.
0: So how many people attended
1: uh, I was probably about 130 to 140 students got to come through. We would buy T-shirts. We get a design every year, and we had a marketing package, the whole works. I mean, it was really well done. And uh, we had a view of the stadium from where we are were, and we got with, with the chef there at Bank of America to use their equipment. And the students would come in in teams, and we had local media coverage. And they would go around and taste test products. And based upon their decisions, actually, if it got a score of 75 or higher, those were products that we were considered to be used on the menu for the next year.
0: Oh, that sounds really, really incredible, like an awesome experience for the kids. How did you all collect the data from them? Was it done electronically? Well,
1: actually, they had sheets that as they went around to the various vendors and they would rate the food. And then I had a, a spreadsheet formula to put in the results to come up with the percentages. And then we ran the percentages to determine which products we were going to use. And we informed the vendors. We let them know up front whether or not that product made the cut, and They were all new products. They had to be new products. They weren't products that were currently in the schools.
0: That's fantastic. And you said it was three years that it was there at the. Yes.
1: Yes. And and actually at the end of that period is when I moved over from Charlotte Mecklenburg schools to the state agency.
0: Okay. And what made you want to take on that? Because it would be a challenge. I got a
1: lot of encouragement from my director to apply when the position came open. It was just, just a growth opportunity. I had done a whole lot as a supervisor. At that time, I didn't foresee the director leaving anytime soon. So it was just an opportunity for me to grow. And I thought that would have, would be a great opportunity moving over to the state agents, which it has. It's been incredible.
0: So what do you do now? Support multiple districts? That is correct.
1: I I have a particular region of, of 11 counties that I support school food authorities, whether they are residentials, charter schools or your normal school food authorities, and I support them, as well as I go around the state doing administrative reviews. So I'm assigned to about 10 or 11 reviews per year, and uh, I'm on those review teams, in addition to doing technical assistance for school food authorities in our particular zone.
0: What does the technical assistance entail? What is that? that's actually where we go in and we
1: provide support we help our school food authorities if we see things that they're not doing properly not following the guidance it's it's like training and helping them so they get on board to make sure everything is handled we help them with their applications to make certain they are being processed correctly we go uh, into the schools to make sure that uh, their meals are being served, the right proportions, all of those kinds of things. We do hands-on training by school food authorities. We check the eligibility at the local levels to make sure all that's on the point-of-sale systems to make sure all the information is coming down correctly. So it's a really hands-on approach to provide assistance with whatever is needed. With our charter schools, they really need a lot of assistance because they don't have the infrastructures of the normal school food authority. So Mm -hmm. we go in and help them get set up and make sure they have everything in place that they need to be a part of our program.
0: Can the schools request that help or is that something the state does on a schedule to kind of spread their assistance out?
1: That is something that we do uh, as part of our schedules for the year is we provide technical assistance. We know we have to do the administrative reviews because that's a requirement. In addition to that, we provide technical assistance. We try to get around and visit every school food authority that we have in our particular zone. In addition to doing the trainings that we do, you know, we do policy updates and we do boot camps and other trainings. But then we go out to the sites to help them and to assist them. And they can request uh, that we come out if they have a particular problem to assist them
0: right oh that's a great that's good to know so is that pretty much done in every state or it's up no to the state uh, each state to is different it. yeah okay. uh,
1: and it, it depends on the size of the uh state agency how many people they have some states just can't they don't have enough people to do technical assistance all they can do is get around and do administrative reviews so our, our state is a little different we have enough people consultants who are available, that we can do a combination because we really think that if we do technical assistance, it really helps that school food authority to be successful.
0: Right. That makes sense. So how would you explain the relationship between the state and the school food authority to someone who's new and maybe is afraid of being audited based on how audits were perceived in another industry?
1: Well, I think the mere fact that we go out and we really, in addition to doing technical assistance, we really are building relationships with the directors, with the supervisors, and even with the managers. And we emphasize up front, we're not here to to do a, a gotcha. We're here to assist you and to help you. So that when it does come time for administrative review, we want you to be successful because it'll be a reflection on us that we have really worked with you to get you to the point of doing the things that you need to do. So we, it's a partnership and we try to explain that uh, to our school food authorities through our policy. We have three policy update meetings per year. And at those meetings, the, those are updates. those the uh, discussion times that we can talk with the directors, we can hear their concerns. So we build that rapport with our directors and with our supervisors and even some of the managers so that when we do come out, there's nothing to fear when we come out. We're there to assist them and to help them to grow.
0: Right. And by then, they already know you. That's that's great. So does the USDA have to audit state agencies? And that's why the state agency is charged with helping make sure all the state is compliant? Or how does that part work?
1: That actually, you just said it perfectly, we actually have what we call a management evaluation coming up in September. So we have been very, very hard at work, and they actually go behind us, and they follow up on all of our documentations that we do. If we do an after-school review, uh, if we do an administrative review, if we provide technical assistance, then they go behind us and they follow up to make certain that we are following the federal guidelines. So that, and I think it happens every three to four years that we have a management evaluation.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that makes it, that makes it really understandable that everybody is really just trying to make sure we're doing what we agreed to do with the money we've been given and being- That is correct. Yeah. That is exactly correct. <laughs> I think it's a reasonable expectation that they um, want to check up on what happened to their buddies. So can't argue with that. So about your job now, do you feel like you still get to connect with the mission of feeding the kids? Is it still clear when you're having to do all the administrative and technical work what the whole program is doing?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Because I still get to go out to schools and reschedule as part of our technical assistance. It's not just an office visit. So we may do part of the visit in the office, but we also schedule time that we can do Sometimes breakfast and lunch. Other times it may just be lunch or may just be breakfast. But we go out to the cafeterias. We visit with the cafeteria managers. We talk to the students. We find out the things that they like, the things they don't like. We observe if there's a lot of waste in the trash cans. And if there is, I'll go out and ask the students, you know, why did you throw this away? And you get various reasons coming back from students. Either they didn't like it or... I got full, so I put it in the it but the communication is still there. The contact is still there with students. And uh, when we go out and, and when we do administrative reviews, you know, we have several schools that we have to go out to. And we're there at the school all day, and the kids will ask, them, who are you? you know, they'll see us behind the counter, and so, you know, they want to know who we are. So that contact is definitely still there. The concern for making certain that kids are fed properly is still there, and we get to see it hands-on when we do go out.
0: I love that. So with your current role on the board with SNA, Mm -hmm. you mentioned with SNA, you encourage everybody, you should really be involved with your professional association. Is this the first position you've served in or how did you start volunteering or working with SNA?
1: Okay. I started out working locally in the local chapter first first volunteering, and once I volunteered, they put me on a committee. I don't remember the committee, now. this time, but eventually I think I became the chapter president for the local chapter. And then I got put on a committee at the state level. So after working some on a committee at the state level, I was asked to run for vice president for the state. So I ran for vice president of the state and won, and so then I became vice president, president president-elect and then president from the state of North Carolina. This was back in 2013. And, and another beauty of what happened with me, with my director was, she told me as long as I was involved in participating, that, you know, she would make certain that I got to go to like ANC every year. I didn't get to go to every single conference, but I got to go to a lot of the conferences. And I went to ANC though every year. So I really got heavily involved uh, in going to conferences and, and uh, industry conference. And I love the legislative conference in Washington. So I got to do all of those things. And so when a position became open on the national board, I ran first for Southeast Regional Director. And so I ran for that position and won and served three years as the Southeast Regional Director. And then I ran for the at large director after I came out of that position and I won that position. And then when we restructured the board, again, we actually had a position open for a president-elect and vice president. And you have to go through this uh, interview process. And I was selected to run for president-elect and won. So currently, I am serving as uh, national president-elect for uh, for the board and for the association. That
0: is exciting. That's a lot of of hours so with all of those positions is there an onboarding process I would be nervous that I wouldn't know what to do if I did open myself up to even being um, active in a chapter in a leadership position how did you get acquainted with what every position required
1: uh, well it was really one step at a time and that's what I try to tell people get in fact I actually received a call this week from a gentleman out in Texas who was asking me exactly that question. What is the process? How do I get involved? And what I tried to explain don't just jump up to the national board or the national level. You really need involvement at the local level. You need to start with your local chapter and and get involvement in your state and work on committees and then start going also to the national conferences. Go to, if, if, Your district will allow you to go to uh, the legislative conference, go to the industry conference, you know, and go to ANC every year. Get involved, and the more you get involved, you understand how the process works. And then it really it's, it's important to get elected at your state level. And then you go through and you understand the processes and the relationship between the state and the national board. And that's really what happened for me. And I, I got to understand that then you understand what positions are available and the committees that are available and the opportunities that are available once you have served on the state
0: level. Hmm. That's really great advice. And I think some sometimes these things just aren't really clear. And I guess if you don't know a person who's right. been through the process, you don't want to, I don't know, be intrusive or tacky and ask somebody. So. <laughs> I'm glad well, you, you know, when
1: I, when I do go around and when I get to speak at various state conferences, I try to explain and I try to tell people, please get involved. You know, we need you at the local levels. We need your involvement because you're the future leaders for your states and then the future leaders for the nationals. So, you know, get involved at the local level and, you know, and see what
0: happens. Right. What are the functions of the board? What does the board do for the rest of the profession?
1: The board sets the standards for all of our state affiliates. The board works as a representative for school nutrition at a national level, as well as working with states at a local level. We also interact and other tremendous advocates uh, at the national level with our congressional representatives with USDA. We advocate regarding laws and rules that are being written that will impact school nutrition We are the voice of school nutrition, and we have to be that voice to speak out. The board meets at various points throughout the year to discuss the issues and the challenges that we are facing in our profession, from the flexibilities that we currently went through that we received from USDA regarding the sodium levels and the reduction from 100% whole grains to over 50%, all those kinds of things are the board works on to ensure that we are listening to our members and the things that they are concerned about we want to grow membership we discuss ways to do that we are heavily involved with our vendors in helping them to to produce products uh, that are beneficial for our schools and products that our students want but still meet the federal guidelines And then we work with USDA with some of the the rules and regulations that they are proposing. We discuss it. We actually built a good relationship with the Secretary of Agriculture to talk about all these kinds of things. The board is just very involved in so many aspects. We set the strategic plan for our association about all the things that uh, we want to accomplish in helping educate our members, we set the standards, we work with them like on the SNS credentialing. You know, we get involved in all the processes for training, webinars, uh, education. We provide all that to our members.
0: That is really comprehensive. And everybody who is on the board is still working? Yes. Oh,
1: yeah. Okay. Yes. Everyone has to, to be in the profession, working in the profession that's on the board. Now, we do have an executive director who is paid by S&A. And Patty is, and that's Patty Montague. And she is really runs the, the office there in Washington, and she helps us and guides us through all that we have to do as a board.
0: So really everyone else is working this into an already packed schedule.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. All, all of the other board I mean, we're all busy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but as I tell people, that's just life. Right. We're all busy, and so it's just working and doing those things that we love, you know. And and as I tell people all the time, even though I'm extremely busy with the association with my job, I also have a personal life here. I have a family. I'm a choir director, and I still try to meet all of those requirements wow. and I enjoy doing them.
0: Right. Right. How do you find balance or has that kind of been intuitive? No big trick to it? It has
1: been, you just have to set priorities and know the things that you can and you can't do. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what I try to do. Try try not to schedule too much outside of the things that I know I have to do so that I can meet the obligations that I have to meet. Mm -hmm.
0: That's reasonable. And do you watch any TV?
1: I always wonder about really Oh, yeah. TV. Oh, yeah. I'm a sports fanatic.
0: Oh, you have to. I'm have a two. big, okay.
1: I'm a big Georgia Bulldog. I went to Georgia. I'm a huge Georgia Bulldog fan. Uh, a North huge
0: North
1: North Atlanta North North. fan, the Falcon fan, too, a Dirty Bird fan. And uh, so I watch sports and, and I watch, you know, uh, we, I call it weird TV. I like a lot of the murder mystery shows. Yeah. That kind of stuff.
0: Okay, that's encouraging to know that there's time for all that, and it doesn't mean you can't watch TV anymore.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. You have time to do all the the other things. Even when we get together, even though we're busy, like as the board, when we're meeting, we still take the time to have a little fun here and there, uh, you know, and we don't get like to go out and see the city like when we were in St. Louis, but we do get to do some fun things. just time to relax.
0: yeah. Yeah, so you work it in there. And with the writing in your past, do you ever think you're going to bring your journalism background into your work life? Oh, I, I use it all the time. Oh, you do? Uh, in fact, oh, yeah, I have to use it
1: all the time in, in writing. I have to do a lot of writing on my job with various reports and stuff. But then even like for the magazine, I'll have to do articles for the magazine sn magazine and so yeah I, I definitely use my writing skills
0: is there a book in the future out there for you or you don't feel like you have You it? know what i have i have definitely thought about it but it will definitely be
1: when i retire okay <laughs> that's
0: reasonable okay that speaks to knowing what you can and cannot do with the amount of time yeah yeah yes. well i appreciate you so much for coming on you've given a lot of really good takeaways Is there one little bit of advice you'd like to share with everyone in School Nutrition or something you wish we all knew?
1: Let's see. Yeah. Just a few little pointers, I guess. I I just like to, to always tell people, especially when I go out, always know yourself, gather as much information as you can about whatever your topics are and about your profession, and be committed to what you're doing. And the, I guess one of the most important things is being able to connect with the people that you serve. And uh, I think that is most important, that I'm able to talk to people no matter what. I don't care where I am at ANC conferences, and I know we're busy and have busy schedules, but I always take the time to talk with the members because that is, that is key. I guess finally celebrate. No matter what we do, we need to celebrate and enjoy and be grateful and thankful. And I know there are always a lot of concerns for our industry out there and a lot of concerns with our managers and our staff and the schools. But regardless, we have to celebrate, enjoy what we're doing, and pass it on because there's a future generation of of successful leaders out there that we have to feed.
0: Thank you so much. That's, yeah, That's great advice. Where can we find you online or where do you spend time on social media, if anywhere?
1: Mostly on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. A lot of stuff is out there on Facebook. And, you know, a lot of stuff is about celebrating a lot of things I do with S&A, but also celebrate my family. I have one grandson. Oh, um, wonderful. Yeah, he's, he's our joy.
0: I really love that conversation. I think Reggie's advice to learn your craft as deeply as you can is really important. Luck is essentially what happens when preparation meets opportunity. So when we see other people, sometimes when we see other people who are doing big things in their area of expertise, we wonder how they got so far. But really, learning your craft, being prepared, doing something that you love is the key. Because to put in the hours that it takes to become really proficient at something will feel laborious and not like something you actually are motivated to do if you're not in the area that's right for you. When you're passionate about what you do, not everything feels like hard work so I hope you found his pointers as useful as I did. Remember, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others whenever you get anything of use out of an episode. Hopefully, that will be every episode. All right, everybody, I'll see you next week.